My core obsession as an entrepreneur is high impact output. And you know, my, the formula in my mind for that is there's doing the right things, which is obviously effectiveness, becoming hyper-efficient, which means I'm doing that right thing the right way. And then there's intensity, which is the multiplier of output. So that's really the formula. However, when you're trying to push intensity, Okay, which you know, you and I are really intense guys naturally. We we love intensity, it just makes us feel alive. You can burn out. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pokolsky. Today's guest is truly one of my favorite guests of all time, certainly one of my favorite people of all time. So what you guys may or may not know about me is my fascination in life, and I'm sure I've shared this in the podcast, is finding people who begin where everyone else ends. And that's really a mindset. That's a mindset that is unique to a very small subset of individuals, a small subset of individuals that are willing to take their body, their mind, their studies, their finances, whatever it may be, to a whole new level. And what really fascinates me about these people is what drives them, what truly makes them tick, what truly makes people want to lean in when it gets hard, wants to really set a new standard for themselves. Because what often happens in life is humans are um, creatures of habit. We, we see, we model, and we typically model and live to the standard of the people that we are around. And you've heard the, the cliche or the statement, you are the five people that you surround yourself with. And the people that I try to bring on this podcast, the people that I reach out to to bring on this podcast, are the people who are leading that tribe. They're leading in their own tribe. They're ultimately leading in the world in some specific area. You, you may not have heard of the name Matt Gallant. He's been a guest on the show before, but Matt is an entrepreneur, a biohacker, and truly an optimizer to the epitome of the word. And he's someone that I, I look up to tremendously. I admire not only for his business acumen, for his demeanor in life, for his, ma his mannerisms, but really how he approaches everything in life and really tries to extract greatness out of everything he does. He doesn't accept mediocrity. He doesn't accept what, what status quo is or good enough or even what everyone else has done to this point. Matt is truly pushing the envelope of what is possible for his mind for his body and the products that his company brings to the to the ecosystem, which is why I've welcomed Matt back on the show to discuss so much today. We just we get into building and optimizing physical and mental resilience. We talk a little bit about nutrition and managing hunger and how to hack the calories in calories in model, calories in calories out model. Uh, we talk about meal timing for sleep and performance. So today's podcast, really, we brought Matt on because I know he's been spending an enormous amount of time hacking his mind so he can really optimize brain function and get the most out of his mind and how that's been impacted and impacting his sleep. So Matt is uh, what I would say now become an expert in sleep and expert in mind optimization. If you haven't heard of neurofeedback, that's one thing that we talk about today. So we talk about how to get the best and highest amount of deep sleep, some really cool hacks that Matt is implementing to get exceptional sleep. 
ultimately, why are we doing this? Well, we're pushing certain systems in our body throughout the day, right? Whether you're someone who's trying to optimize at the highest level or you're someone who's just existing in your life, what we're all doing is we're doing the best that we can with what we've got. And ultimately, we're all trying to give ourselves more energy, more focus, more time so we can push harder at whatever we love, right? So whether we want to push harder at spending more time with our family, push harder at training our body, push harder at learning and acquiring knowledge, the people who come onto this podcast prioritize growth. And today's podcast dives deep into understanding sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, the importance of sleep for heart health, insulin resistance, and your psychology, and so much more. I can't thank Matt enough for coming on the show and literally blowing my mind every single time he comes back. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Buy Optimizers. They've done it again with another breakthrough product. They're leading the way in the supplement industry with incredible formulations. Today's product is called Sleep Breakthrough, an incredible product that helps you get your deepest sleep ever by targeting five different sleep pathways. An absolutely incredible formulation loaded with glycine, taurine, theanine, pharmagaba, and B vitamins, all clinically proven to give you the best deep sleep, best REM sleep ever. I've recently had an opportunity to try this product and I can say that it is absolutely phenomenal. I actually tend to sleep well to begin with, but I often have one wake up. And since taking Sleep Breakthrough, it's completely wiped out. And I wake up feeling rejuvenated. I never like to sleep, take sleep products that when I wake up, I feel kind of groggy and I feel like it takes me a little while to get going. That is not the case with Sleep Breakthrough. So I've absolutely quickly become an advocate of this product as well as having all the ingredients that I would normally put into a sleep product individually, all now in one easy to use simple formula. Head over to sleepbreakthrough.com and use the code MUSCLE10. That's sleepbreakthrough.com slash muscle, or use the code MUSCLE10 at checkout. You're not going to want to miss this product, guys. You know how much sleep is impacting every facet of your life from mood to energy to recovery to body fat to muscle building in so many other ways. Head over to sleepbreakthrough.com slash muscle. Get hooked up. Now back to the show. Matt Gallant, one of my favorite humans in the world. I refer to you often. You came to my gym and uh, blew my mind in many ways. I think that was 2017 or 18. It's been a while, man. And you've been on the podcast before. The thing I love about you, Matt, and I'm not supposed to smoke, but is you're one of these people who um, really pushes the envelope in everything you're doing, pushing the envelope in cognitive optimization, pushing the envelope in sleep optimization, performance optimization, even watching the way you eat uh, on Instagram. I was like, you know, you're fasting one day and then eating the next and fasting like, there's so much cognitive resilience and physical resilience built into your life. And I'm really excited to have you back and dig in, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks. I was actually just talking about you on Saturday with a good friend of mine. We were talking about Tampa and I'm like, yeah, my favorite gym in the world is there. It's, it's oh. yours. So yeah, thank you. Man. We've, we've had a good time and, and I am on day three of a fast as we speak. So uh, let's, let's see if we can read podcast going. How many days are you going? Probably. This might be it. We'll see. I might, I might push it to four. I, I do find there's a, there's a clear moment where the body goes catabolic. Usually on day five, you feel it. You feel like you don't feel good anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm feeling really good right now. Did a squat workout yesterday. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how I feel tomorrow morning, but uh, I might push it to four. So is that what, so I, I, instead of like framing it, what's the objective for you in that? I'm sure you've got some deep intentions behind that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always two objectives when it comes to fasting. It's either you're trying to lower calories. And I, I think it's more of a tactic than a diet or a strategy. And, and by the way, we are coming out with 
what we believe is the ultimate nutrition book. I mean, the first draft was 800 pages, going to be published by Hay House in September. We're actually finalizing the edits, um, covering every type of diet, every type of dietary strategy, every goal, universal nutritional optimizers. But the other one is autophagy. And I think a lot of people have this misconception of autophagy where it's on or off. It's really more of a spectrum. I mean, cardio increases autophagy. You know, the, it's not like, oh, I ate and you know, suddenly this at 16 hours later, I'm instantly in autophagy. It's really this gradual thing. So yeah, it's a little bit of both, a little bit of calorie reduction and autophagy. Man, and not that you need more of this built into your life, but it, it's, it would be, um, you know, not, not complete to not mention the mental resilience, right? Like not mm-hmm. everyone's mentally capable of enduring extended fasts, right? I know a lot of people who try and like, oh, I just couldn't do it. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So like we need, we're building, and for a lot of my clients, we're building those resilience challenges into their life. Cause ultimately I have, I mean, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Life is just resilience. And if you think of like every, if you go system by system in the body, mental resilience, nervous system resilience, you know, cardiac resilience, you know, skin resilience, the sun, like I, I'm literally, so I'm literally building a program now for longevity exclusively around resilience. It's like, how do we build resilience system by system, muscular system resilience, mobility? Like, I think it's just, that's the term. And if people don't understand what that is, obviously it's the body's ability to kind of be exposed to things and adapt. Maybe the term is more, more accurately anti-fragility, right? So mm-hmm. I can do something that's hard and I get stronger. And that, that to me is like building in the, building in the margins. I think that's an important one to not to gloss over. Yeah, there's a word that's really similar to resilience, which is the key, which is resistance and you know, building various forms of resistance. And of course, you made a living uh, lifting a lot of weights and becoming a bodybuilding champion as a result of it. Yeah, and I think you know, what's interesting is when I talk about fasting with let's say, people that are not into our world, they're just, I don't want to call them normies, but people that are not in biohacking and biological optimization. Definitely call them normies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you talk about fasting, I'd say 80, 90% have this reaction of fear. Like I would die. I've, I've literally heard that many times. Like I would die. Mm-hmm. And that's really the fundamental fear. And, you know, it's just an illusion, right? I mean, this incredibly powerful feeling that emerges after you fasted for your, especially your first time, your first day. And then you wake up the next day, you're like, well, I made it. I'm, I'm alive. I'm okay. And you know, maybe you can do another day. So yeah, I think it's one of these things you want to kind of step your way into it. I mean, doing a 12, 12, a 16, eight, a 24, and then just not eating for an entire day. I think people can move into it. And I will say if you're doing a multi-day fast day one, in a lot of ways is the hardest. Like, Day two, you'll typically get ketones pumping in. When you got ketones, you feel pretty good. Like I'm actually feeling really good right now. So I was going to ask, like, so you've done many diets. And, and uh, the last one that I was kind of referring to earlier is you're doing a fast one day. And then I think you're doing a high, it was high calorie or high fat. The next, if you want to kind of walk through it, that was, I think it was like three and one. I forget it was a couple of years back, but wondering how important the days that lead up to your fast are for you? Is it, is it keto or are you just like, no, nah, I'm just going to eat whatever? I know you've done so much experimenting. Yeah. Again, we cover all of that in the book. There's not too much. Between weight and I, there's not too many diets we, we haven't tried with and play with. And I mean, I, one of the key messages, like every diet works short term. And what works long term is something that is you know harmonized with your psychology, ideally your genetics, your goals, 
And, you know, it's not a a static thing. I mean, a lot of times you have to change your diet. And of course you you did that in your bodybuilding days, you'd have anabolic periods where you're eating a surplus and then these dietary restriction phases where you'd get shredded for a show. Yeah. The, the diet you're referring to was an all day fast. And basically you would eat one day, fast the next, eat one day, fast, and say fast, like fast, you basically was a 36 hour fast. Yeah, I what was the negative about that strategy was the hunger was a lot less manageable because one of the big benefits of intermittent fasting is ghrelin adaptation. So let's say you're eating at noon every day. Around one hour before, you're going to get a ghrelin spike, which basically prepares your brain and body. It's motivating you to go eat. And if you're doing intermittent fasting every day, you'll notice that I'm not hungry anymore for breakfast because you've skipped it for X number of days and your body's adapted. So when we were doing the all-day fast, it was a very good strategy for cutting calories, like overall calories. And this is another pro tip with calories. What really matters, in my opinion, is your weekly calorie deficit or surplus. You know, And I think when you shift out of a daily perspective to a weekly perspective, it opens up some other strategies like maybe you're fasting one day a week or things like that. But the, cal- the hunger response was definitely more significant. And we noticed that it was kind of increasing later as we you know, were multiple weeks into it. So yeah, I, I frankly don't advise it. How much did you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, while writing the book, look into kind of the hormonal influences and hormonal swings associated with both fat loss and fasting? Well, you're bringing up one of the big points we're hammering in, in one of the most important chapters in the book. And obviously, no one can escape the laws of thermodynamics, calories in, calories out. However, there's a lot of things that we can do to influence calories out. And I think that maybe the number one thing is anabolism. You know, mm. Muscle growth, anything that increases anabolism is going to increase calorie output. And of course, you know, if you talk to professional bodybuilders, which you were one of them, and you talk about their hormonal stack, I mean, it's, it's a well-known fact that the more they're increasing their hormones, the more calorie expenditure they're having. Now, you don't need to be using all kinds of hormonal enhancers to get that effect. I mean, if even a person that's on, on nothing starts lifting weights and starts, you know, make sure they got three grams of leucine with each meal and has, you know, four protein feedings a day and they're sleeping well, they're going to be more anabolic. And it's a really significant calorie expenditure. I, you know, I heard a stat a long time ago and it was that each pound of lean muscle mass requires 5,000 calories to synthesize it. Which makes sense, right? I mean, you're building this new tissue that's never existed. And that's not the workout calorie. That's not the afterburn calorie. That's literally just synthesis. So if somebody builds, you know, 10, 20 pounds of lean muscle mass, you're talking about 50,000 to 100,000 calories that need to come from somewhere. So that's a big one. Cold exposure is another great, you know, strategy for increasing calories out, both from the calories you're losing while you're exposing yourself to cold, as well as the brown fat building. And we're actually building a brown fat cap for people that are doing cold exposure. So we'll probably release that later this year. 
So yeah, there's a lot of strategies people can do to increase calories out. And I think that a lot of people just focus on calories in, they just focus on reducing that. And there's this point of, you know, you just don't even have energy to function. And on the calories in, I think the main two macros are obviously, you know, just protein. I mean, that's the king macro for all kinds of reasons. And then fiber, you know, fiber really trying to replace normal carbs with fiber. I mean, fiber is phenomenal for hunger and you're getting about 50% of the calories that you would normally get. So it's it's a really good strategy. Just increase fiber, increase protein progressively, decrease carbs, decrease fats uh, progressively, and then find various ways to increase calorie expenditure. It's interesting. So Justin and Erica Sonnenberg wrote, wrote a book, I believe it's called The Good Gut. They're out of Stanford, and they actually argued the opposite. They argued fiber has very little benefit, if anything, and but they offered they they argued kind of vehemently for for prebiotics, probiotics, like fermented foods and things like that. I don't know, I don't recall what their argument was. I've never had them on the podcast, but I, I love there's a, there's a paper I could send you if you haven't seen it. Have you ever seen any of the counter arguments against fiber? I'm sure you have. No, I'd love to see it. Um, I know I did look at the literature when they compared the the immune system benefits of fiber versus probiotics, and it was no contest. Mm. So I think eating fermented foods is certainly superior to just trying to get fiber. But fiber as a hunger management strategy, like Wade just competed at 50 years old at a natural bodybuilding show, dieted for 18 months, and I think he was eating like 100 grams of fiber a day. So that was his main satiety strategy. And I, I think managing hunger is a really critical strategy for, for anyone. And you know, it goes back to resilience and resistance, but you know it wears on you. It will wear out your willpower if you're not managing hunger properly. And we have a yeah. whole chapter on that. So. so, talk to me about hunger managing hunger because, like, in my understanding, there's two primary mechanisms that are driving people. Right? It's like stomach mm-hmm. uh, emptying ultimately how full your stomach is, but then there's also the, the brain signaling saying, "Hey, I don't have enough calories." So, how much are you guys looking into that in the book? And if you could talk a little bit mechanistically, like. Because obviously fiber is probably not going to shut down the brain's drive to consume, but will that adapt in time? Yeah, there's a peptide in the brain. It's called it's called NPY. That I think th- there's a term that some people have used, and I experienced it. It was brutal, and they call it the hunger. And I know that uh, some women, I, I know other people that have gone through it, where they they don't necessarily have the genetics for getting shredded, and they push their bodies way past their healthy genetic limits to get ready for a show. And for me, it was my, my wedding, actually. And what happens is you're just hungry. I was hungry for two years. And it, like, it, 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 was just ins- it didn't matter. It wasn't ghrelin. I mean, ghrelin is a very short-term response. And it was brutal. It was, it was very difficult to deal with. And you know, as I was looking at all the literature on hunger, there's a peptide for satiety and there's a peptide for hunger in the brain. So, you know, and if you look at the, some of the new peptides that are coming out, like semi-glutide, um, I think they're, they're also having a direct impact on, on the brain. So yeah, I think peptides are really, uh, it's a big one and, you know, it's very different than ghrelin. For a long time, I just thought it was this nonstop ghrelin response, but it seems to be peptide driven. It's a self-defense survival mechanism. And I think, you know, when you're dieting, if somebody wants to lose a lot of weight, the key is you got to keep your body feeling safe. And there's a lot of strategies around that. I'm mean, making sure that you're taking your time because there's certainly a line that when you cross, your body will fight back and it fights back 
with a, a long list of ways from you know, leptin, lowering testosterone, losing muscle mass, increasing hunger, peptides in the brain. And you, you, people tend to be in trouble and that's when they rebound. So you really want to avoid hitting that, that threshold. You know, talk to me about meal timing, because like, I want to come back to this conversation around resilience and, and all the different types of resilience, but really talk to me about meal timing, because there's so many Im- influences or so actually there's, there's multiple schools of thought. Some mm-hmm. people say timing doesn't matter at all. Obviously, I have, I have my thoughts on where it matters, but I'm curious how you frame timing of nutrients. Specifically, maybe you could talk to how it influences uh, performance and how it influences sleep. Yeah. So I, I worked with some pro athletes and certainly I think for workout performance and athletic performance, it matters massively. You know, you want to make sure that you've got all the nutrients, including micronutrients for a workout or for a race or for some sort of competitive event. As soon as you're, let's just start with hydration. I mean, if even if you're just dehydrated 1%, your performance starts to drop. And you know when people sweat, you're really losing. It's not just water; it's minerals. So making sure you got enough sodium, enough potassium, enough magnesium, enough zinc for especially for uh, any sort of endurance event is critical. Making sure you got enough glucose. Uh, you know, for power athletes, carbs is king. And again, I've been a keto guy for it's going to be 30 years pretty soon. I started when I was 16, and I'm going to be 46 this year. So. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt there's enough literature that's come out on carbohydrates and power. And again, power is explosive sport. So I'm not saying you need carbs for lifting weights, but if you're some form of competitive athlete where you need power bursts, then I would strongly advise using glucose as your primary energy source. You know, what we do some interesting research has been done too on, on bodybuilding where if you're drinking amino acids while you're lifting, you will get a better anabolic response. And it makes sense, you know, as you're stressing the muscle, muscle growth starts kind of instantaneously, right? I mean, it's a long 48-hour cycle, 72-hour cycle of recovery, but it starts near, like almost instantly after you've, you've done a set. So making sure you've got all the nutrients your body needs and for muscle growth, obviously amino acids is key. So yeah, I think those are kind of the primary ones for sleep. Obviously, we can get really deep into sleep nutrients because you know the one thing that levels you up across the board, and we both we've had conversations about sleep before, is is sleep. Whether it's muscle growth, it's fat loss, and I'll, and I'll give you one piece of literature that's that's amazing. So they had two groups. You know, one group slept eight and a half hours. The other group slept five and a half hours. The group that slept five and a half hours. of their weight loss was lean muscle mass, whereas the group that slept eight and a half, it was only 10%. So somebody wants to lose, let's say, 20, 30 pounds of body fat. They need to lose 40 to 60 pounds to achieve their goal. And obviously, they're not going to look good. They're not going to feel good. And you know, one of the things that I'm really happy to see a lot of people promote now is lean muscle mass is critical for longevity, for glucose absorption, and all these other health benefits. So even though you don't want to look like a bodybuilder, I think all of us should be trying to build a little bit of lean muscle mass and at the very least trying to protect it. And uh, you know, for muscle growth, you know, great sleep is, is critical because almost all of the rejuvenating anabolic hormones happen during deep sleep. And of course, during REM sleep, that's where it's, it's a lot of 
memory consolidation, neurotransmitter formation, and all kinds of other beneficial things for the brain. Yeah. One thing that comes up to, for me as we talk about like transition and maybe talk a little more about sleep is all the potential genetic differences when it comes to how people, res- well, let's just start with that. Like how, pe- like timing. And then there's how people respond to certain nutrients and there's how people respond to certain neurotransmitters and, and predominance of neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. How much have you guys looked at? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big loaded question. There's a lot going on there, but um, I'd just be curious if you guys started looking at individual variances, whether it be genetic, I guess it has to be genetic or, or maybe that could be environmental as far as its influence on sleep. Yeah, it's big. It's big. And actually we will be releasing genetic testing kits mm-hmm. this year that will help us dial in personalized nootropics and supplementation to a level that just isn't possible without it. And, you know, everybody's got genetic variants and some are good variants where there's benefits and some are negative. And yeah, I mean, neurotransmitters is a big one. Uh, Obviously, some people have extraordinary dopamine genetics and, you know, you and I almost certainly do. I, I know I do. I've seen it in my genes. Almost every entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur has that. So there's a lot of benefits to again certain genetic mutations, and you know even GABA. So GABA, we talk about sleep, and that is an example. Uh, but 10% of the population has a genetic variant where GABA is a stimulant. So literally, mm-hmm. instead of chilling out and yeah. using it as a sleep aid, it actually wakes them up. And I was talking to Dr. Dan Engel, and he told me he saw the same thing with valerian root. So yeah, there's a lot of genetic variants. And it's the same thing with diet. Like some people have genes that will make following a ketogenic diet better for them. You know, they got good genes to deal with saturated fats and all kinds of other uh, different genes that that will assist them. And same thing with even a plant-based diet. Some people can transform the the fats from plants into useful fats, and some people can just you know metabolize the the plants better. So. Yeah, I think the genetics with nutrition, genetics with sleep, it, it's a really big deal. And I think that over the next few years, it, it's going to become the main thing. Like if you're not looking at genes and customizing your your diet and your supplements based on that, then you, you're not going to be getting the best results. So talking about neurotransmitters and their influence on sleep, you mentioned GABA briefly. You mentioned serotonin. Obviously, we have we have dopamine, we have we have acetylcholine, we have uh, glutamate. How are these all coming in and playing into sleep? I mean, if you want to give us like a quick rundown into into what these are doing to influence daily drive and daily sleep patterns, and because that could be an interesting segue into how people can support them supplementally or nutritionally. Yes, we all have these circadian rhythms and we have all these clocks in the body that start really in the from the beginning of the day. And again, a, a massive kudos to Dr. Andrew Huberman for promoting sunlight in the morning. I I got my sunlight this morning. I've been doing that for the last few months and it's been incredibly impactful. So just in general, I'm generalizing here, but earlier in the day, there tends to be obviously a big spike in cortisol, which is really good. You you want cortisol in the morning. You have typically more dopamine in the morning. So adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, dopamine are all kind of stimulatory neurotransmitters and they tend to have a bigger presence earlier in the day. Later in the day, there tends to be an increase in serotonin. And serotonin is really critical for sleep. It is a precursor to melatonin. We talked about melatonin, but you know anything you can do before bed that increases serotonin is a good thing. GABA as well tends to increase later in the evening. 
Now, GABA and glutamate have this relationship, this inverse relationship where glutamate's excitatory, that's another stimulatory neurotransmitter, and then uh, GABA is kind of the molecule of chill. So again, ideally, you know, 90 minutes before your bedtime, you're ingesting things that'll increase your GABA. And you really want to try to manage adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, dopamine, again, that 90-minute window before bed. And things that will increase that are you know, watching intense, violent TV shows, uh, playing video games, you know, being on the OCD, social media loop, like all of those things will increase dopamine and it, it might make it more challenging to, to go to bed and fall asleep. So trying to manage that and minimize that before bed is, is really important. Of course, light is a stimulant as well. So, you know, you, you want to, I know you've set up your home before because we've talked about it before, but, you know, light in the morning and then ideally you're, you're really dimming the lights or using red light bulbs or wearing blue light blocking glasses 60 to 90 minutes before bed is a good strategy because it'll help your body naturally produce melatonin. So for natural melatonin production, it really just, it's as simple as give your body some precursors like magnesium and just uh, some other cofactors and then manage light, or, you know, really manage darkness. Yeah, awesome. So you, you kind of segue there into cofactors and melatonin. I think that if you just want to keep going down that path, because I think when we, when we think of like cofactors, what's going to drive GABA, what's going to drive serotonin, there's obviously nutritional interventions. Mm-hmm. There's obviously maybe even uh, environmental interventions and certainly supplemental interventions. So I'd love you to, if you're open to kind of going down that path of what your, your nutritional research has uh, brought you across. Yeah. So first of all, carbohydrates increase serotonin. And that's one thing. And I've heard some people are advocating do a teaspoon of honey before bed. And I've tested, you know, ingesting like 10 grams of, of fruits before bed. And it tends to improve sleep. And again, the, the mechanism is that it's increasing serotonin and serotonin's converting to melatonin. So you know, a little bit of carbohydrates before bed, I think is a good thing. One, one really critical thing for sleep, because it'll destroy it. And I've been tracking my sleep since the Zio came out. I don't even remember when that was, but it was before the O-ring, is having a big meal at two, three hours. And of course, we're both from the bodybuilding world. And probably the worst advice you know, has ever come out of the bodybuilding world is you take a big shake or something before you go to bed and you know, it'll just absolutely destroy your deep sleep. Or even worse in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wade used to do that. Yep. So, yeah, uh, you know, forget about it. So, what you want is don't eat for maybe two or three hours. And some people get even better sleep not eating for four hours. You, know, you want to try to don't be hungry. So, you want to kind of try to manage in the timing where it's a good, it's a good dinner, it's a good supper, and then you're not hungry. And, you know, because the ghrelin can certainly make it difficult to sleep. But the things that you can ingest before bed are essentially amino acids and amino acids will get absorbed very quickly, 30 to 45 minutes. And then any carbohydrate, again, in my opinion, a refined carbohydrate, something like a fruit, something like a honey that will give you that serotonin spike. And you don't need much, like five to 10 grams is enough. So that's it. Now, what's that like a half an apple or a half a banana kind of thing? Five, 10 grams, like very small. Yeah, like a cup of berries. Yeah, half an apple. Sometimes we have a cup of pineapple fruit. I live in Panama, so we have an abundance of tropical fruits. And yeah, it's not much. And I, and I've tried it, like especially when I'm fasting multiple days, like I am right now. Typically, day two, three, four, my sleep gets compromised. 
I'll get this massive cortisol spike that will wake me up before I normally would. And I think it's just a survival mechanism like, hey, wake up, go get me some food. Mm -hmm. And I found that if I just do 5, 10 grams of carbohydrates uh, before bed on these multi-day fasts, it it solves that problem. Yeah, let's talk about cofactors. So we have a lab. We have a lab in in Bosnia. We have 20 full-timers that are doing nonstop research on all the supplements that we're building and rebuilding. We talk a little bit about that. And I'd say that the most amazing thing has been seeing the impact of cofactors. We're talking anywhere from 50 to 300% improvements in laboratory tests by adding micro amounts of the right cofactors. And I've always believed in cofactors. We've always formulated with them in mind, but I had never seen the hard data on how much it can impact things. So I think in general... Can you define what that is, Matt, for the audience? Sure. So using scientific terms, there's precursors, which are really building blocks. And then there's cofactors that help transform that precursor, that building block into a target molecule. And you know, when we're formulating, we'll literally spend a lot of time looking at these you know, biopathways where you know, for example, you have the whole cholesterol hormonal chain, right? You know, cholesterol is converting and you got the DHEA and it's converting to a couple of pathways. And then that's where genetics come in. Some people are estrogen dominant and they'll convert more of that, those hormones to estrogen. Some people are more testosterone dominant. But, you know, when you're looking at these biopathways, there's certain cofactors you can add that will increase or improve the conversions. And for an example, with magnesium, P5P, which is a bioactive form of vitamin B6, which by the way is a really great supplement all around for all kinds of things. But in the context of sleep, it will improve the conversion of magnesium into serotonin. Some other great cofactors include like calcium. Calcium is great for sleep. It improves REM and it also helps convert tryptophan into melatonin. So as we built Sleep Breakthrough, we were just looking at how can we add, you know, again, all the right building blocks and all the right transformers to to maximize the output that we're looking for. So one of the things, Matt, that always fascinated me about you and, uh, you know, I kind of admired about you was your all-in mentality. So when we spoke, it was probably, gosh, 2017 or 18. And I was telling you, I was like kind of struggling with sleep. I had two little kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you kind of suggested like, hey, here's all the things I do. You're like, I want to do all the things. And th- in, in your experience, is that, a, is that a good approach? Does that Did that help you or does that help you? Or did that simply just help you refine it to where you are now, to where you can say definitively like, hey, I know what this does. I know what this does. I know what this does because I've worked through all of them. Yeah, I love that question. And it was this human bias of wanting one thing. And I think that the best strategy for maximum results is y- you want to synergize and compound and stack every possible thing. You know, compound interest is the eight wonder of the world, as Einstein said. And, and you, if you look at biology from that perspective, using that framework, and it was the same thing when I was improving my sleep, it was, okay, I improved my mattress. I improved my deep sleep, let's say 20%. I used absolute blackout currents. That was another 10, 20%. I started using a chili pad. That was another 10, 20%. But these things are compounding. 
And I went from zero to 15 minutes of deep sleep to getting around 90 minutes consistently of deep, which is really a good target, by the way. So just for everybody, like 90 minutes of deep and then about two to three hours of REM are really good targets. And my big advice for everyone is focus even more on sleep quality than you do on sleep quantity. And I made that mistake where I was sleeping eight to nine hours a night and literally getting zero to 15 minutes of deep sleep, waking up dehydrated, groggy. My testosterone crashed to low 200s. My body fat was the highest I've ever scored on a DEXA scan. Like it, it wasn't working. And that's really where I had that eureka moment and realized the I need to improve my sleep. Like that's the one thing, if you will, that will improve the quality of my life. And it has. And I've spent about 45 grand on every potential sleep gadget, sleep molecule that, that's been out there. And, you know, as you improve all these things, like managing darkness, being in a cold room, having a great mattress, it, it just consistently compounds. And then when you add the sleep molecules, again, it compounds. And even within the realm of sleep molecules, if you're stacking all the right molecules, you will get a much better result than if you're just trying to use like L-theanine, which I'm a huge fan of, or any single one. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of stacking. And you learn that as well in bodybuilding. I think that's one thing bodybuilders figured out is stacking is where it's at. Like using one thing will get you a certain level of result. But if you're stacking eight or 10 things that work, now you're getting this incredible synergy. Yeah, beautiful, man. So how does one sleep at eight hours and get 15 minutes of deep sleep? Is that like you're eating before bed? You're drinking. You weren't paying attention to the, to the light exposure. You weren't paying attention to the, t- the quality of the mattress. Was it all of those things? Yeah, there was too much light coming in my room. And by the way, your room needs to be absolutely pitch black. Back then, I was wearing a sleep mask. But you know what's come out over the last few years is your skin has photoreceptors. So even if you're wearing a sleep mask and you have curtains, if you have light hitting your skin, it will disrupt your natural melatonin production. So that was one. Two, my mattress sucked. Three, and this was probably the big one, the biggest one is I was overheating underneath the sheets. Mm-hmm. So my room was cold. I was running AC. I, I live in Panama. You, you need to run AC when you're sleeping here. But I was overheating so much because partly because of the mattress. And obviously, I wasn't using a chili pad back then. So yeah, when I added the chili pad, and I know there's the sleep aid, there's a few, few ones that are out there now. But that was transformative. And I remember hearing Tim Paris talk about it because I was literally losing about three to four pounds of water every night while I slept. And that was, again, causing me to be dehydrated. And that was causing the, grog- the grogginess while I woke up. So yeah, my sleep was absolutely being destroyed by overheating. Yeah, very cool. So talk to me about Sleep Breakthrough. You mentioned you, you guys are creating a product. That's obviously your brainchild, I'm sure. Some some brainchild of both you and Wade, who are both brilliant guys. Also, Wade's been a guest on the show. Love to have you just kind of break through your or sort of walk through your thought process on you know mechanistically what you put in there, why you chose to put it in there, why it's the, the best combination you guys are able to come up with. Yeah, I love that question. So first of all, it really started like six, seven years ago when I was trying to improve my sleep, and I, I tried every single individual sleep molecule that's commercially available and you know, tried stacks and combinations. Uh, there's a few ones that are really became staples. Like one of my favorite ones, and I know you're a fan of it too, is L-theanine. So L-theanine is awesome because it will help relax you without creating drowsiness. And one of the challenges with creating sleep breakthrough was we wanted something that was very effective for improving sleep, but no drowsiness. 
you know, no hangover the next day. And a lot of sleep molecules, you'll feel a lingering effect for a couple of hours or a few hours the next day. We didn't want that. So L-theanine is really phenomenal for that. Of course, L-theanine is just an amino acid derived from green tea. If you take it with caffeine, it helps really kind of compress the jitteriness and the spikiness of caffeine and extends the effect. So it's a really awesome supplement all around. But it does another thing. And it increases alpha brainwaves. I know you've, you've done some neurofeedback as well. And we've talked a lot about neurofeedback. So one of the main, when you look at insomniacs, there's two major things you see. One of them is they have hyperactive beta brainwaves and they just have a hard time. They can't downshift. And the natural cycle from a brain electricity perspective is we're in a beta brainwave state like we are right now. Ideally, you would go into alpha brainwave state, maybe an hour or 90 minutes before bed, you start relaxing and calming your brain down and you're doing sort of mindfulness practices or meditation or anything that just calms your brain down. And then when you hit the sack, your brain will naturally go to theta. And that's that hypnagogic state where you're starting to dream and you're aware of the dreams. Everybody hits it every night. And also everybody hits it every morning when you start kind of being aware of your REM sleep, you're, you're aware of your dreams. And then if you're getting great sleep, you will hit delta. So you're, there's just this natural cascade of beta, alpha, theta, delta. But people that are insomniacs, they just cannot downshift. They're kind of trapped there. So there's two molecules that will help with that. One of them is L-theanine. Again, it does increase alpha brainwaves. And the other one is GABA. So GABA, pharma GABA, increases alpha brainwaves. And GABA is the other thing that you see in insomniacs. If you look at the literature, they're both 30% deficient in GABA. So again, it could be a genetic thing where they're just not naturally producing enough GABA. And by the way, probiotics produce GABA. So in our lab, we, we bought a half million dollar machine. It's, a, it's called the HPLC machine. And we're testing all the neurotransmitter formation of every probiotic we can get our hands on. And the number one GABA producer is P301. It outproduced everything and it peaks eight hours later, by the way, which is interesting. So if you take P3 on with dinner, it's great for digesting protein. It's proteolytic. And by the way, only two probiotics we tested are proteolytic. It was P3OM and another one. And again, you're going to get that GABA boost as well. And just, uh, just to acknowledge, that's one of the products you guys currently sell with Biotomize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a really uh, powerful single strain probiotic that's got a lot of unique properties that we haven't seen in almost any other probiotic. So yeah, it's, it's, we call it the Navy SEALs of probiotics because that's literally how it was produced. It was literally thrown, it was L-plantarum thrown into a hyperacidic environment. Only 5% survived. And we needed to use a, a frequency to keep the 5% alive. And basically it's only the strongest and the, they evolved. They literally mutated into all of these unique properties. So yeah, probiotics are just fascinating. And you know, we're actually going to be re-releasing all of our digestive products later this year because we've improved all of them. But back to GABA. So GABA is really critical for sleep. It's the molecule of chill. It again, it helps reduce glutamate, which is excitatory. So again, there's this inverse relationship. So again, people that are just insomniacs cannot calm their brains down. And we can talk about a really cool a piece of literature I found with minerals in a sack that will help calm down your brain. But GABA is really powerful and important. 
So we tested all the forms of GABA we could get our hands on. We settled on pharma GABA. We think it's the strongest form there is. Um, it's 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 quite potent. It is significantly stronger. How is, how is than the absorption? Because I know that that's always kind of been a knock against GABA poor poor GI absorption. Well, it, it doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. So the current mechanism that's believed to be in play with with GABA is the brain to gut connection. So probably through the vagal nerve. Like it, it's certainly working. And again, it seems to be working through the brain-to-gut axis. How would you compare that effectiveness against against something like Fenibut, which I know is regulated in many countries, but it's been super effective for me? Yeah. No, I mean, again, there's there's various forms of GABA. You know, with Fenibut, a lot of people will adapt very quickly. So that's one consideration totally. or one concern. Um, so it can be addictive that way. And yeah, pharma GABA, we see we seem to see it. It just continues to work. Like the adaptation seems to be a lot less than some of these other forms. But yeah, a lot of people that I know have used Fenibut. And even GHB, which is uh, obviously a scheduled drug now, that targets GABA. I mean, you used to be able to go buy that at GNC and it's very effective to, again, target GABA. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting, I mean, valerian root targets GABA. So there's a lot of interesting molecules. But some of those, the half-life was too long, meaning that it lasted too long in the body and then you would wake up and kind of feel a little bit drowsy and hungover. So that's why we settled on PharmaGaba. So as far as additional ingredients, we've got the theanine is in sleep break three. We've got PharmaGaba. What else do you put in there? Yeah, let's talk about minerals. So we talked about magnesium being a, a precursor. Now, magnesium is a cofactor to, and then now they're saying up to like 600 biochemical reactions in the body. There's three other minerals that are really good for sleep. We talked about calcium. The one that surprised me the most, and again, all credit goes to, to Mark Effinger, who was my co-formulator on this product, um, absolute brilliant formulator. And he's like, we need potassium in this. And I'm a huge fan of potassium. I think most people's sodium to potassium ratios are way off. Uh, they're consuming a ton of sodium from salt, but they're not consuming that much potassium. And I learned that over, over the years doing ketogenic diets that I needed more potassium. And when I started taking potassium, it just completely transformed my hydration. So in my mind, potassium was always the molecule of hydration. However, when I dive into the literature on sleep and brain and potassium, what I found was this research they were doing on odd mutant flies. And they found that sodium excites neurons and potassium quiets them down. I, I did not know that. So that means that ingesting salt with your breakfast or salt water or even salt coffee. I'm a, I'm a big fan of salt coffee. If you've never tried that, it's a great strategy. If you do black this coffee, morning, actually. Salt. Yeah. yeah. You I ever did. do rosemary? I've not done rosemary. Which word better? Rosemary is a nootropic. It's really good for memory. So it's I've not done rosemary. in your coffee, man. So like I'll do a French press and I'll just put a sprig of rosemary in there. Try mm. it. Change your life. I've actually got salt coffee right here. So nice. yeah, it's really good to, again, wake up your brain and, and stimulate your neurons. But at night, ideally, again, you're doing a good dose of potassium before bed and it'll help quiet down the brain. It also seems to slow down the heart. And here's from a you know, 30,000 foot view perspective, anything you can do to slow down your nervous system, right? Shift your nervous system to parasympathetic, quiet down the brain is going to improve your sleep. And that's another reason why mag magnesium is, is really good. And again, anything that'll slow down your heart rate will also calm down your nervous, nervous system. So potassium is awesome. And then a classic one is zinc. 
So yeah, zinc is really good for again the metabolism of mel- melatonin, and it also calms the nervous system. And ZMA, of course, has been a classic supplement for a long time because uh, it, it works. So yeah, that's the the mineral stack, if you will, and there's a lot of cofactor action going on. And then we talked about L-theanine. The last one is glycine. And I've really come to believe that glycine is one of the most powerful amino acids for health in general. And I think almost everyone's deficient. I think probably the optimal dose is like 10 to 20 grams of glycine a day. So it means you're taking about 60 grams of collagen, right? Like, is that... Is that the yeah, or you can just take straight up glycine, glycine yeah. as well. I mean, glycine is involved in you know collagen synthesis and so many detoxing pathways. But in terms of sleep, it does a couple of really fascinating things. One of them is it lowers body temp, so it actually will it will push blood flow to the extremities and help lower your body temperature. And obviously, we talked about that; it's really important for sleep. The other one is it'll improve sleep onset, so you'll fall asleep faster. It will extend REM, so you get longer REM. And probably my favorite one is that if you take three grams of glycine before bedtime, it will reduce sleepiness and fatigue during the next day if you're sleep deficient. Hmm. And this was research done on insomniacs. So you're basically getting better sleep and zero grogginess. So I'm a big fan of, of glycine for sleep. And that's it. The rest of it is natural flavoring. We use blue spirulina, some organic berry extracts, stevia, and some silica. From bamboo, so there's that's another mineral that's in there. We have actually some some bamboo extracts. So there's nothing synthetic, and yeah, it works incredibly well. So it's a it's a potion. You drink it about an hour before bed. You will feel it about thirty minutes later. And something we should talk about is in this someone uh, the ones I'm still working on. I, I'm just naturally a night owl, and I like staying up. And if you can get consistent timing of sleep. It, it will improve your sleep dramatically. You will you will hardwire that circadian clock. And what happens is if you stay past your target bedtime, let's say you've wired in, it's midnight, around 12.30, 12.45, you're going to get a cortisol response. That's where you get that second win. And that second win will absolutely destroy your deep sleep. It's It's right up there with a big meal. So if you can, again, like one hour for your target bedtime, dim the lights, put on some blue light blocking glasses, try to calm your brain down and drink sleep breakthrough or other sleep molecules. Uh, you really prime your brain and your body for a good night's rest. Tell me what you guys have seen in research, man. I know you've done research personally and and most likely with a, with a decent sized cohort of people. So what have you actually seen quantifiably in your research, even if it's just personal? With sleep breakthrough? Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, the only people that are not getting an improvement on sleep is the people with the genetic variant where GABA is stimulatory, which seems to be about about 10% of people. So that's what we're seeing. Everyone else is reporting much better sleep either subjectively or with their Oura Ring scores. And just a comment on Oura Ring data and Fitbits and Whoops and all of these things. They're about 60% accurate for determining deep and REM. We're, we're actually doing a, a deeper study using Dream, which is a headband, which actually measures electrical brain waves. And that's the only way you can get accurate sleep data. You need electrodes or you need electrodes on the brain. There's, there's no way of escaping that. So if you go to a sleep lab, they'll put electrodes. And Dream, unfortunately, is no longer selling to consumers. It's, it's research only. So we're using that. But yeah, we're seeing some, some consistent improvements in sleep latency. Length of sleep, length of REM, 
improvements in REM and subjectively almost everyone is reporting that they just feel better the next day. And they also report that they're a lot less tired, especially on the back half of the day where maybe at 2, 3 p.m. they used to crash and, and, you know, kind of need to either use stimulants or they just, you know, basically were compromised with their productivity. And now they're able to go till 6, 7 p.m. and feel, uh, maintain a peak level of performance. So that's what we're seeing with that. By the way, we have another sleep product coming out in February called Dream Optimizer, completely different design. And, you know, one of our strategies as a company is we know there's not one size fits all. So that's why we tend to create multiple products so people can pick the one that works for them. But let's talk about melatonin. So melatonin is good for helping people fall asleep. And it's really good for triggering the hormonal cascade that we want. Meaning, again, it triggers that prolactin cycle where you're getting growth hormone production and a lot of other really powerful hormonal rejuvenation. However, people are mega dosing melatonin. And a lot of people were talking about 350 micrograms a few years ago. However, I dived into the literature. It's 10 to 80 micrograms is what your brain will naturally produce. Mm. So even if you're taking like a half milligram dose of melatonin, which is typically like the smallest dose you'll find in a pill, that's still 10 to 20 times what your brain's naturally going to produce. Like it's a ridiculous dose, really. What's the drop off though between like, ingestion and actually what's hitting the brain? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but obviously if you're doing like a sublingual melatonin, it's going to be very high. And you know, there's a really important point back to genetic variants. And I'm really glad we you queued up the whole conversation with that. A lot of people have a genetic variant. I have it. I know I've heard Huberman talk about it, Tim Ferriss talk about it, where you get this elevation in body temperature, which will wake you up two to three hours before you normally would when you ingest melatonin. Which, by the way, can be a great hack if for some reason you're traveling and you can only get like five hours of sleep. I'll actually use a heftier dose of melatonin so that I wake up and feel better the next day. So it's a great hack for that. But if your goal is to try to sleep a full sleep cycle, then it's not a good idea. Here's what works. It's working near 100%. I've not heard one person not report that it's working for them. And we gave like 100 bottles away at an event recently. It's about 50, again, 40 to 80 micrograms of melatonin. So we built a spray, which has 18 micrograms per spray. So people can really control the dose and try anywhere from like three to six sprays. Six sprays is like 108 micrograms. The other thing it has is California poppy seed, which will dramatically increase your REM so your REM, again, I swear there's a lot of emotional processing, memory, trans- memory formation, neurotransmitter formation, and a lot of people are you know, not getting enough REM. So I'd say like three to four days a week, you want to try to boost REM. And, and here's something I've never heard anybody talk about, which just tracking my sleep for a long time, I just saw that there seems to be this natural preference that the body either wants to emphasize deep sleep or REM. Now, both are always happening to different degrees, but let's say you had a brutal squat workout today, deadlift squats, like just something that really tax the nervous system. You'll typically find that you're getting more deep and less REM, or you're not as conscious of your dreams. Whereas like the times where I've done hardcore, like five, six hours of neurofeedback, there's more REM. 
like, so the, it's like the body naturally will pivot and focus on, okay, you really taxed your body. Let's get more deep. Your body, or you really taxed your brain. Let's go a bit more REM. So you can kind of strategize that way and use Dream Optimizer where, you know, you really push your brain. It was a tough mental day and you can use it that way. So yeah, it's really phenomenal. It'll boost your REM and your lucid, vivid dreams. Uh, almost everybody reports. It, it was one, one guy that came to me at breakfast a couple of weeks ago. It's like, dude, my dreams were like Avatar. It was, it was wild. So yeah, it's, it works really well. Sounds like a great idea. So as you know, Matt, like mental cognitive load is so much higher. Mental stress in our society is just enormous, whereas physical load is probably at, at its lowest ever in general for most people. And, and so people like, that's a big part of my messaging is like, you got to learn to balance out your, your cognitive load and your, phys- your physical load. In most cases, by bringing up your physical load and bringing down your cognitive stress. So something that can help people like pick and choose between, hey, am I actually trying to recover my body versus am I trying to emphasize brain recovery? Sounds like it's just a brilliant approach. One thing, one question that came up actually with respect to glycine, uh, and I don't know that you mentioned, I've seen it actually do have tremendous benefit in blood glucose regulation. And I'm mm-hmm. curious if yeah. you've ever seen, it's kind of a side, side question, but I'm curious if you've ever seen anyone whose blood glucose drops kind of uh, sporadically or often throughout the night. And, it, you know, th- think we know what the, what the cause of it is, or maybe you have some in- insights, but, uh, curious if you know the cause and if you've seen any interventions that work and if, you know, you've ever experienced something like that. I have not. And I don't know the cause. So I would love to hear your theory on that. So blood sugar drops, I think typically, right? So if someone's blood sugar drops, their adrenaline spikes. So if you actually watch someone on a CGM, you mm. know, maybe they're used to eating carbohydrates. So today, maybe they've got some, some poor, glu- poor glucose management. So I see these like two to three big dips and then they'll get an adrenaline spike, which spikes the blood glucose. And uh, the, obviously they're going to wake up from that adrenaline spike. So putting a CGM on someone, seeing these things happen uh, kind of characteristically, if I can bounce out their blood glucose during the day, give them a little bit of glycine before bed, I see an enormous improvement in the number of times people wake up. Because as uh, you know, as well or better than anybody, many people can fall asleep. And they wake up many times throughout the night. Many people can't fall asleep. You know, like, so we have these different solutions or different problems we're trying to solve. So that was just one thing that uh, I, I thought I'd mention as maybe a side benefit for anyone listening as far as the benefit of glycine. If you tend to wake up a lot in the middle of the night, glycine has been a really good hack for me and my team. Nice. And by the way, a dream optimizer is awesome for people that wake up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But I do some really important things if you wake up in the middle of the night. One is potassium can help. Because again, a lot of people will urinate frequently because their sodium to potassium ratios way off. And you know, anytime that happens for me, I'll hit the bathroom like two or three hundred percent more than if my potassium is in balance. So that's another benefit of taking potassium before bed. The other one is make sure you don't have bright lights. Like if you wake up and you have you know bright lights coming on, I mean that's really going to disrupt your ability to go back to bed. So you can have you know some red light bulbs on a child light sensor that again, not something that's going to just really wake up your brain, but dream optimizer, like two or three sprays is works really well for, for helping people get another sleep cycle. Yeah. One more note too, on sleep and glucose. I was actually talking to a professional athlete about sleep recently. And he told me he was using a CGM and he had a really bad night of sleep. And the next day he looked like a pre-diabetic. So literally the impact, and this is a really important point, like a lot of people I think think of sleep as, yeah, I can tough it out. And by the way, you know, sleep is the one thing, and I made that mistake in my 20s, by the way, one of the craziest things I've ever done was I created the theory in my 20s that I would adapt 
to less sleep. And I was working 80 hours a week in the gym. I was training twice a day. I was learning marketing. I was recording a hard rock album. And my not so brilliant idea was, well, let me just reduce sleep 15 minutes every few days, every week, and I'll adapt. I felt pretty good until the five-hour mark. The five-hour mark, if I was off with anything, hydration, nutrition, I would just crash instantly. But I absolutely crashed at the four-hour mark. And when I got to four hours, that was it. And it took me about two months to recover and to sleep like eight, 10 hours a night. And then I read Power Sleep by James Moss and kind of went the other way. But yeah, um, the point is that one night of bad sleep has instant impact on you the next day. First of all, your hippocampus, which stores your short-term memories, gets massively impacted. And a lot of people, and I actually had a dinner with a good friend of mine on Sunday. He's like, Matt, my short-term memory is gone. I, I can't remember almost anything. He has some brain trauma from his time in the military. But I'm like, how's your sleep? He says, I'm getting three hours. Well, I'm like, you know, and I gave him some sleep breakthrough. He, he sent me a, a recording this morning uh, and said he slept incredibly well. So yeah, this is great to see that. But hippocampus and also your DNA will literally get destroyed. So it, it will, you get DNA damage. And then epigenetically, you're turning on genes that are involved in tumor production, cancer, cancer, all kinds of really negative things. And of course, your mood's going to be incredibly compromised. But here's a wild stat. There's a 45% difference in heart attacks when you compare daylight savings time in the spring versus the fall. Hmm. So when people lose one hour of sleep, there's a 24% increase the next day in heart attacks. And then in the fall, it goes down 21%. So there's a 45% difference between when people win or lose an hour of sleep. So like literally it's, it's immediate. And mm. then of course, over time, if you're looking at longevity data, people that sleep too much or people that sleep too little, like less than six and a half ish hours of sleep live less, uh, live lower lives or shorter lives. So it, it's impactful both in the short term and the long term. And it's interesting to me that people that sleep 10 plus hours live shorter lives. And I think that the mechanism there is that they're really unhealthy. And that's a really important point. Something I've noticed with myself and with clients is that as they get healthier, they might need, they might go from like needing eight and a half to eight to seven and a half to maybe even seven. So, you know, again, for those of you that are really healthy and you're getting seven hours of sleep and you're getting good deep, good REM and you feel great, good for you. You know, you, you again, you probably have really good health and, and I think there's also people that have a genetic variant. So back to genetics, um, I actually have bad genes for sleep. It shows up. There, there is a genetic variant that you'll see. And my nutrigenomic expert uh, highlighted that. And I knew that just from my father because he struggled with deep sleep. And magnesium breakthrough has really been transformative for him. But there's people that have great genes for sleep where they can pass out any time and they're getting phenomenal levels of deep and REM in a short amount of time. So, but, you know, when Matthew Walker, who wrote the book uh, on sleep, you know, one of the best books on sleep, talked, yeah, asked, when Rogan asked him, you know, what happens with the people that are getting six hours of sleep and say, I, I feel good. Um, he said, across the board, like 0% of people are not getting negatively impacted by that. So I think seven is probably the minimum. And 
people can reach this state of homeostasis where they function on five and a half, six hours, and they're basically living on cortisol. I think they're they're basically producing cortisol, and cortisol make you feel really, really good. Uh, I actually know some people. I've never done this, but people that have partied on cortisol, like they injected cortisol as a as a way to stay up all night and do all nighters. Um, and that's when you get that second win. And I was addicted to that for a long time, where I I love staying up till two, three, four in the morning and getting that second win and working and doing things. But I think it's incredibly unhealthy. You want the cortisol spike in the morning, not at not at not at AM in the like not when you're trying to go to bed. Yeah, exactly. When it's constantly up, like your body composition is gonna go to shit, your ability to burn fat or fuel is gonna go to shit. And then those yeah. are the type of people who look at or who will report like, hey man, I you know, I look at a carbohydrate and I get fat, and you're like, okay, we have an idea of what's going on here, right? Your your cortisol is probably inverted. So question for you, man. A lot of my listeners, and and you're very much in this alignment. We push hard, man. I want to push hard in the day. I want to, I want to, I want to put the pedal to the metal, man. And yeah. when my guys come into my coaching program, the first thing I say is, I'm not going to tell you to slow down. I'm here to teach you how you can go faster and not break, right? That's what I do as a coach is like, man, we're pushing every level we possibly can. Whatever you're willing and able to do, we're going to push and we're going to teach you how to recover from it. So I'm curious what your routine looks like. Cause I know you cognitively and physically push hard. Mm-hmm. Um, specific to how you adapt down, right? Many guys are like, hey man, I can get up, like I can get going, I can I can get, get I can get peaked, but not a lot of people put a lot of attention to post workout or post intense anything and the recuperation process. I'm, I, and I know you do, so I'd love for you to have you talk about that. Yeah, it's been a really I love that question. It's something that I'm always kind of obsessed with. Like my core obsession as an entrepreneur is high impact output. And, you know, my, the formula in my mind for that is there's doing the right things, which is obviously effectiveness, becoming hyper efficient, which means I'm doing that right thing the right way. And then there's intensity, which is the multiplier of output. So that's really the formula. However, when you're trying to push intensity, Okay, which you know, you and I are really intense guys. Naturally, we we love intensity; it just makes us feel alive. You can burn out, and like literally, my strategy in the past, like maybe even as short as like five years ago, was take a vacation because I needed it. We'll get like we'll finish with that, but take a vacation, come back. I'm feeling refreshed, and then there's only one speed, and it's go, and then I would slowly degrade my capabilities, my ability to maintain intensity, my ability to be effective and efficient would degrade throughout the quarter. And then I would take another vacation and come back. But you don't that even was- notice, right? That's the thing that I notice a lot of guys is their performance yep. is degraded, but they don't even notice that becomes their new like default. And I'm like, man, you're capable of this and you're operating here. And these guys think they're operating a high level. Yeah. What's driving that illusion is that they're at a hundred percent effort. Yeah. But they're only at fifty percent capabilities. Yeah, effectiveness exactly. Right. So it's it's having that distinction between what I call like you know functioning capability, which is kind of that summation of all those things, and effort. I mean, you know, those are two completely different things. So yeah, it's really been a journey to to optimize my my personal productivity system. First of all, the book that was a major jump was the Powerful Engagement, and that book really taught me energy management. 
that was the first real step, right? And they talk about, you know, you want to go really hard for anywhere from 30 to maybe 75, 90 minutes, you know, and, and we can talk about what hard looks like. And that's a, a little minor refinement I've done recently. And you, then you need a break. You need to relax. And the break can be anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes. And you're basically just like you would do with a high intensity interval workout or even weight training, you're having this hyper-focused, intense effort, and then you're recovering and you're cycling back and forth. And something that I think the, the best model or analogy or metaphor for entrepreneurs is that we are cognitive athletes. And almost every framework, tool, principle that athletes use to optimize their performance, whether it's through you know, recovery and hard workouts are applicable, in my opinion, for entrepreneurs. I mean, it's different because it's cognitive, but so you want to go, I would say about 85%. And that's, that's a new refinement I've had like recently. Like what does fully engaged looks like? Cause most people, you know, if you're trying to go a hundred, you know, just, just like with high intensity interval training, like if you're actually going hundred percent, you're done in 10 seconds, right? Yeah, it's done. You're done in 10 seconds. You're fried. If you take an assault bike and literally go 100%, like very few people, you're, you're cooked in 10. So yeah, 85% is a really good sweet spot. And then the goal becomes, okay, how can I improve my output with this 85%? And ideally, you're measuring, let's say you're writing, you can measure your words per minute, you can measure output. And you know if you can find a way to create a scoreboard for yourself, where you're measuring your output and you're scoring yourself, it's incredibly powerful. You're, you're anchoring dopamine. You're anchoring a dopamine loop that's going to allow you to push yourself. But there's some really interesting data that came out recently around taking breaks. And it's you know something that sometimes I just go like seven, eight hours straight and I, I suck at taking breaks. So I'm not the master of this. But if you don't take breaks, and they were looking at the brain scans on people that were doing like one Zoom call after another versus taking a five to 10 minute break. There's this constant accumulation of beta brainwave activity. And basically, you will fry your brain. So that's where a lot of degradation is happening is there's just too much beta brainwave activity and there's not enough nervous system management. And that's really been my, my evolutionary jump has been shifting from energy management, which was a big jump to nervous system management. And I love the fact that you're always uh, preaching about nervous system management because it's so critical. Yep. And I like starting my day with, you know, hanging out with my, I have a nine month old daughter, hanging out with her, hanging out with the cats, going in the park and, you know, not turning on my phone. I, I've got it still on do not disturb until at least 9 PM. So that I'm just more in a alpha brainwave state instead of jolting my brain into a high active beta brainwave state. And then throughout the day, even if it's just looking at the sky, having these five, 10 minute breaks, playing with my daughter, playing with the cats, listening to a song, dancing, a little bit of movement, you know, all of those things really help to manage your nervous system. And, you know, as far as supplements go, magnesium is phenomenal. So anytime I feel wearing myself out a little bit. And, and being worn is different than being tired, right? Tired just didn't sleep enough last night. Being worn 
is something that happens when you're really pushing yourself for too long and you're not rejuvenating. So I'll up my magnesium breakthrough dosage. And the other thing is we have an adaptogen formula, which has just been absolutely phenomenal. It's in, it's in with the new formulators, a Chinese herb wizard, 17 Chinese herbs. And it's the most powerful experiential adaptogen formula that I've ever tried. So that's coming out in a few months. But yeah, just managing your nervous system, you know, be wary of stimulants. You know, again, stimulants at the right time, at the right dosage is critical. A lot of people will just default to trying to take more and more and more stimulants where what they need is more breaks. And I'll tell you the last thing, and it's something that I've done forever, but I never, I never even knew there was a term for it. And it's non-sleep deep rest. Mm. And, you know, I'm not a napper. Some people take naps and it works really well for them. I, I just, when I'm awake, I'm awake and I tend not to be tired until nighttime comes. But what I've always done is like just close my eyes and literally not try to do anything. And then, you know, I've been hearing this concept of non-sleep deep rest. And all I need typically is anywhere from literally three to eight minutes. And I just feel rebooted. So that's really effective. And one last thing is like, here's, here's a really simple, but highly effective strategy is like, I'll, I'll do some non-sleep deep rest three to five minutes. And then I wake up and I just literally do a set of push-ups and a set of squats because if you don't move enough throughout the day, and a lot of us will just move when we work out, but if you're not moving throughout the day, your blood flow, your energy, your BDNF, all of these things will start declining. So what I've found to be really powerful is just these micro little bursts of 60 seconds to two minutes of exercise, like literally doing just a couple of sets of... uh, you know, curls and, and military press with dumbbells, like just some really simple things. And I just feel energized and I feel really good. That's awesome, man. There, there's so much value in that. I probably have a million questions I could continue to ask, but I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Uh, I would love to invite you back again soon to dig into some of the other amazing things that I know you're doing. Always an incredible conversation, Macalon. Thank you very much for being here. You guys have just released Sleep Breakthrough and we would love to hook our audience up. Audience, you guys can head into the show notes to check out a direct link uh, to pick up Sleep Breakthrough. And Matt, as always, keep doing what you do, man. Changing the world. Thanks, man. Yeah, our goal is to take people from sick to superhuman. And I feel like you're one of our brothers on the same mission. I, I know you're you're personally working on becoming a superhuman version of yourself and you're teaching people how to do the same thing. So I think we're all aligned on the same mission. Every day, man. Have a great one, Matt. Thanks. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm doing my best to understand health at a new level. I believe that when it came to muscle building, when it comes to muscle building, I've I've understood a lot. I've spent a lot of years mastering the muscle building process, the fat loss process. And now it's getting into really, what are all the other facets that are holding people back? Because I've had tremendous success helping people build world-class physiques, getting in, in the best shape possible, getting absolutely shredded. For a small subsection of the population, this seems to be easy, right? It seems that we, we figured it out. It's not a challenge anymore to help anyone build as much muscle as they're willing to invest in or as willing they're willing to work for. But there's a small subsection of the population that is struggling with things like health optimization, gut optimization, hormone optimization, sleep optimization. 
maybe we're focusing on balancing muscle building and longevity, which is a really huge focus of mine. How do we balance those two objectives? I want to be lean, healthy, and muscular, but I also want to live long. So these are the, the new directions of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Muscle building will always be at the core of what I do because I believe it's the most important organ for longevity. Uh, yes, muscle is an organ. It is, it is a, an endocrine organ that sends and receives signals, which is ultimately the definition of an organ. And so we need to take care of our bodies on every level and definitely, definitely, definitely prioritizing your ability to get strong, your ability to be muscular, your ability to move well in its ability or its value in adding to your long-term vitality. If your goal is feeling great, performing great and looking great now and forever, let's all prioritize this together. Thank you for being here, ladies and gents. Thank you to Sleep Breakthrough for again, giving us an incredible product. Our friends over at BioOptimizers never seem to stop putting out amazing products. If you're not already using BioOptimizers, I never leave home without Masszymes to help my digestion, specifically when I'm trying to improve recovery and protein digestion. Magnesium breakthrough if I need to calm my nervous system, if I need to train hard and make sure my body is relaxed enough to recover. And now Sleep Breakthrough, an incredible new product from our friends, Matt Gallant and Wade Lightheart over at BioOptimizers. Ladies and gents, thanks for being here. Have an amazing day. Let's keep crushing it together. And I look forward to seeing you on the next Muscle Intelligence Podcast. If you're not already subscribed to my YouTube channel, guess what? I am coming back to YouTube. So if you've been following me on YouTube recently, you're just getting the podcast, but here's what you can expect. I'm doing a lot more training videos. I'm doing a lot more lifestyle optimization, mindset optimization videos because you've asked for it. Ladies and gents, thank you so much. I get hundreds of requests every week for people saying, hey, Ben, I really want you to come back and do more training videos. I want you to come back and do more mindset optimization videos. And you asked for it and you got it. Thanks for being here, guys. Go over to YouTube right now. Follow Muscle Intelligence there. And I promise there'll be lots of amazing stuff coming your way. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.